Just a note before we start, our show talks about touchy subjects that may be difficult for some of our listeners. Take care of yourself. If you feel you need to seek help, see the links at the end of our show notes for resources. Welcome to Touchy Subjects, the podcast that aims to make those awkward conversations around domestic and sexual violence just a little less awkward. I'm Sean. I'm Allie. And I'm Sierra. And in today's episode, we're going to be discussing gender and sexism in the media. So like we mentioned in our last episode, we wanted to talk about relationships in the media, but we've since decided that we want to break that into a couple of different subcategories. So like Sean just mentioned, today we're going to talk about gender and sexism in the media. And then we're going to move into um, how relationships are portrayed in the media as well as violence in the media in our coming podcast. So be looking forward to that. But let's get started with um, just a definition of what we're going to talk about today. In talking about gender roles and sexism in the media, we're going to use uh, a definition of sexism. Um, and that definition is going to be behavior, conditions, or attitudes that foster stereotypes of social roles based on sex or gender. Sean, do you want to talk a little bit about why this is a really crucial stepping stone for our conversations about relationships and violence in the media? Uh, Sure. So when we're looking at our society just as a whole, violence and harm, everything, it falls on a continuum. So when we're looking at like harm and violence and everything, obviously we can all agree like raping somebody is bad. But when we're looking at this continuum of harm, we all somewhere fall on this continuum where most of us are never going to rape somebody, but we have all probably told or laughed at a sexist joke or not called out somebody when they've talked poorly about women. So we have this continuum of harm that while we might recognize like, oh, that sexist joke was kind of like off color, it was like a little off-putting when we heard it, we didn't really do anything about it, or we've told those sexist jokes and we're not recognizing those things as potentially harmful even though that plays into that culture of sexism and biases towards um, different gender identities. So it's an important conversation to have just because when we can start educating and pointing out and understanding how those little things that we might not see a whole lot of harm in can be harmful and play into that culture, we can start changing that culture to where people won't be assaulted, raped, victimized nearly as often because everyone realizes those little things are harmful. Right. So essentially, the seen as not harmful behaviors, you know, laughing at sexist jokes or not, you know, being an active bystander when um, you see something happening, those things all essentially support the violence that, you know, we see as sexual violence and interpersonal violence um, without us really realizing it. Yeah. And it's not saying that everyone who tells a sexist joke is a bad person for it i'm not gonna sit here and say i've never told a sexist joke i'm not gonna sit here and say that i don't enjoy listening to eminem and hobson when a good portion of their songs has violence against women or violence in them but it's recognizing that when we are consuming this media it's important that we're recognizing those potentially harmful messaging that we're getting so that way we can start working to combat it or have it not shape how we actually view other people which really does happen often the you know the shaping of our views and our idealizations based on 
the media that we consume and it happens sort of subconsciously right well we live in such a copycat culture when people are seeing these things in the media and they're like oh this famous person just said this or somebody just posted this video on tiktok and it was so funny even though the underlying tones of it are not all that great but they're like oh well that person got a lot of likes that person got a lot of views you know all of these things and how we view it as a culture is that oh well if they did that i have to do that too because they're popular and i want to be popular and it's all about that status and number of likes and number of shares and everything else yeah and i remember listening to an interview i can't remember what comedian it was but it was this comedian basically complaining that oh because of pc culture and how things are nowadays i can't make any jokes like well, if the jokes that you were relying on were sexist and racist and like all these other isms towards different groups of people, they probably weren't that funny to begin with. But because people are starting to realize the little bit of harm that can come with it from those jokes, you just got to change the jokes. Right. Like it's not difficult to be funny and also not be sexist. Right. And I want to back up a little bit, Sean, because you mentioned the word isms, which is something that we talk a lot about in our field, but maybe um, listeners out there aren't as familiar. So when we say isms, we're talking about um, we're talking about discriminatory things such as sexism, racism, ableism, classism. Um, and those things, what they all have in common is that there is a lot a lack of equality in them. And so all of these isms support this violence that we're talking about, right? And so if media is relying on jokes or portrayals of any of these isms, it's essentially harming and uh, and causing this, this violence later on. So with all of that being said, and again, with our topic today being based on gender and sexism in the media, what are some specific examples of how that's portrayed to us and how that promotes the culture of violence that we're living in? I think an easy one to start off with is one that most people can probably recognize. This is like Mario and Peach. Okay. Tell us more. You don't know who Mario is? No, I know who Mario is. I just don't know where you're going with this. So I'm curious. So when you're looking at the Super Mario games, what's the main objective? To win. But how do you win? By beating other people. No. You ever played a Super Mario game? No. Super Mario? Yeah. I've got Mario Kart, that's about it. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking Mario Kart. No, Super Mario. Oh. Like the side-scroller, like, platformer. No, I think you're going to have to explain this to us all. Okay. (laughs) So, Mario and Princess Peach. The main objective of the video game, save Princess Peach. She's kidnapped by Bowser. She's hiding in a castle or been placed away in a castle. And throughout the game, Mario has to defeat all the bad guys that get sent after him from Bowser to eventually where he finds Princess Peach and saves her. So it's the damsel in distress. Yes. Okay. So that's definitely a theme that we see in a lot of media. I think that we see that particularly in kids' media, right? Like Shrek, for example. Shrek Mm -hmm. has to go save Fiona, and there's the dragon surrounding her. That's just the first thing that came to my mind. Well, and Shrek's a good example, actually, because it also gives you the almost reverse a little bit. Because while, yes, Shrek's objective is to save Princess Fiona from the castle, she doesn't need Shrek to save her. Fiona's a very strong character on her own. It seems like the message that they were putting in it was to kind of combat the typical tropes or themes that we do see a lot in like Disney princess movies and stuff like that. Is, well, yeah, he saves Fiona from this evil dragon. Dragon's not actually evil. Fiona's not actually a damsel in distress. 
especially when you think of when you have those Disney princesses, they're usually reliant on the men. They don't have their own like strengths or anything. Whereas Fiona, she's a badass. Right. She can fight on her own. She doesn't be trick. I'm pretty sure at one point, like she fights and helps save Shrek right. in like this fight. <laughs> so they were working to kind of combat those tropes, which is why Shrek works so well because it's not something that we usually see in media. That makes sense. And when we're talking about, you know, for example, we're talking about Shrek. So while that may not have, you know, they were they were trying to combat this typical stereotype of the damsel in distress. In the end, however, it still was a love story. Yeah. You know, Fiona's ending was still that she was seeking this love with Shrek. And so it's important for us to realize that not all movies that have these gendered elements or sexist elements are all good or all bad. Yeah. Right. And. Just to use another video game example, Princess Zelda from the Legend of Zelda series. Zelda's the titular character of the game, but you usually don't see her very often. That's true. The main character's Link. Right. And his objective through most of the games is to defeat Ganondorf while also saving Zelda. Even in the games where Zelda does actually fight, she doesn't fight until she takes a masculine form. So you have Sheik and Tetra, both who are masculine figures in these video games, and then as soon as she switches to her Zelda form, she gets captured. Huh. That's interesting. I didn't realize that. And a funny thing with Zelda is actually, I'm not a huge video gamer. Sean is, obviously. <laughs> but um, I'm not a huge gamer. But it wasn't until I was in high school that I realized that Link was not named Zelda. I just assumed that because the video game was named Zelda, he was Zelda. I don't know. I just assumed that. Well, we always assume that male characters are going to be the, you know, the ones that have the name associated with them. They've got to be the star of the show at all times. So that's actually an interesting point to go off of here. Um, And I think that we want to talk a little bit about um, representation in media. So uh, how women are represented and how often women are represented in the media. When you look at female representation... A quick example is one that was pretty popular when Endgame came out, was you have this shot of all of the female superheroes on the screen together at the same time, which sounds really cool and good job, Marvel. You shoehorned it in there. (laughs) But when you look at what their positioning was at that point in the film, all of these women had been put in a support role. (laughs) Yet when you look at it, at one point, Scarlet Witch is just absolutely destroying Thanos showing that Scarlet Witch is strong enough to defeat Thanos on her own. You have Captain Marvel, who is your strongest Avenger, by far, get knocked out almost immediately as soon as she starts fighting Thanos one-on-one. Yet you can have Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor fighting together, and they go toe-to-toe with Thanos. So you essentially take your female characters, put them in a support role, and then also your two strongest ones are also in that support category by helping transport the gauntlet. Instead of those two fighting Thanos, because had Captain Marvel and Scarlet Witch worked together to fight Thanos, he was probably losing right there. So you take even these strong characters, these strong female characters, and you throw them in the background and allow for the spotlight to be placed on the men. So it's like you're showing that they're strong, but they're not the strongest. Yeah. And it is also important too to point out when there is good representation in media, like Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is a great job of being like that girl power movie without really like throwing it in your face. And there's also a reason that Wonder Woman did so well in the box office. 
even when every other DC movie at that time did terribly. And the messaging that comes from Wonder Woman isn't one that we're used to seeing in media, which probably played a lot into why it did so well and why it continues to do well. And there's a reason that it's getting a sequel. Right. And and that reason is, like we said, most of the time, women are not represented like that in the media. Um, there's actually something called the Bechdel test, um, which is a, a, a measurement of representation of women in the media. Um, and for this test to be done, it looks at if there are at least two women who speak with each other, and they speak about something that is other than men or a love interest you know that's interesting that there's even such a test for that it just shows how underrepresented women are in the media especially in main roles yeah there was uh, in doing my research there was a study that i came across that um looked at i think it was 13 g-rated films so we're talking about kids films and the study found that nearly all of the female characters in the movies were valued only for their appearance and were focused only on winning the love of a male character. So out of 13 children's films, every single one of them was like that. And so this isn't even just in adult films. This is how we are raising our children to view media too, you know, primarily focusing on love and appearances. You know, taking that in another direction, when I was younger, my I loved soccer. My hero was Alex Morgan. But whenever you would see articles about her or pictures of her in the news or anything like that, or for example, when she was in the body issue for um, Sports Illustrated, I was like, oh, okay, we're not going to talk about how strong of an athlete it, that she is or... Um, how good she is or how much of a leader she is or how she started so late, but now she's, you know, in the Olympics. Now we're just going to talk about her body and she's only, you know, a good athlete because she's hot. Yeah. Well, and it's no secret that women are sexualized in the Mm -hmm. media, whether that be for commercials, for actual products or in movies, TV shows. I mean, anywhere that you consume media, women are sexualized. Um, even to the point where sometimes it's reduced only to parts of their body. Um, and there's commercials, especially where parts of the body are likened to a product that's being advertised. And what that message sends us then is that women are objects. Their bodies are objects. And so this extreme value that's placed on women's bodies and paired with this ideation of, you know, how to catch and keep a man, um, it's it's intertwined with women's bodies. And so that is, you know, it affects how women see themselves. So in there you mentioned like commercials and stuff. And that's typically how women are advertised to to begin with is you're not beautiful enough, but you could be if you were to buy our product or you want to get that guy, buy our product and we'll help you look good enough to attract that guy. So women are being advertised to to be taught that they're not going to be good enough unless they buy this thing. And that message just reinforced then through the portrayals of women in media, where typically you have a woman who's either going to be really attractive or she's this really sexualized character. And that's how she ends up getting the guy instead of like the nerdy girl getting her. I can't tell you how many times I've seen like the nerdy deemed unattractive girl who then goes through this makeover 
who loses the glasses and now she's the super attractive girl that everybody wants. So obviously media uses women's insecurities against them in a way that they think that they're being built up by, hey, buy this product and we'll make you better. Um, You know, do your hair this way and men will like you better. Things like that. But one thing that we haven't really talked about a whole lot is that men are getting similar messages. The messages that men get are just as pervasive as the ones that we're seeing on screen for women, Um, but they are a little bit different. However, the same message is, is consistent, right? Which is, if you aren't this one thing, then you are lesser than. Yeah, we show men as having to be these big, tough, strong guys who are rich and make a lot of money, or they're the one who always gets the girl. And this makes men start to view themselves as this very one-dimensional person that we need to acquire all of these traits in order to be the man or even be a man in general. So when we start lacking in one of those areas or we can't quite accomplish it, we lose our man card. I think this is a good point to jump into how these messages, both for men and women, kind of pit us against each other and is really the root of all evil, if you will. So we'll see in media, even though it's being portrayed to men, like, hey, you need to be strong, you need to be protective. Women are seeing that in terms of, oh, I need a man who can protect me. And one just kind of silly example of that, but I think we all um, are familiar with, is in that 70s show when they go on a trip and Jackie looks to Kelso and she's like, oh, Kelso, I'm cold. And his response is, well, damn, Jackie, I can't control the weather. Well, that's just, you know, a silly example of she's expecting him to drop everything and protect her, take care of her, save her from the elements, if you will. Um, Whereas on the other hand, men are seeing women in um, how they're being advertised to and they're like, well, I need a girl who has flawless skin. She's got to have perfect hair, um, perfect body. She's got to take care of me and put food on the table and all that kind of stuff. And it just... You know, those messages really do clash that not only are we viewing ourselves as less than what we really are, and we're expecting more from each other. And when you look at even movies like American Pie, the whole objective of that is to get with a girl. So it almost turns it into, well, yes, men are being expected to be these big, tough, strong people. The easiest way for us to prove to somebody else that we are a man is we're getting laid. Or if you could have sex with this super attractive woman, you now have bragging rights in your group of friends. You get to be the top dog. Right. And so in those cases, that getting laid or whatever they call it (laughs) in in the show or movie um, is essentially it's a conquest, right? Mm -hmm. And so it is seen as a man taking possession over something else. And that something else in this case is a woman. And so... It creates this power differential between the sexes. And then that starts to create a viewpoint about how men learn to view themselves and view women then too, is if there's that power differential, they're looking at themselves as something that's better. Now, I'm not saying that all men are inherently saying, I'm better than women, but it's the overarching theme that we get in media is that somebody's got to be the best. And generally, it's the guys. It's the straight guys. With with this power differential, what it ends up doing is 
making anybody who does not fit into the very neat boxes of the perfect man and the perfect woman, it makes them lesser than. And humans are really boxy folk. Like we like to put people into neat little boxes because it makes it easier just to process information. Stereotypes have a very real purpose in our lives just because if we were to always try to process everything we were experiencing, we would never be able to function. The problem becomes when we start to take those stereotypes and function on autopilot, where we aren't thinking about the narratives that we are getting when we're just starting to try to put everyone into these boxes because no one fits into those boxes. Now, some people might fit into most of the box, but no one's ever going to fully fit into that box because people change. People have different experiences, different emotions, different responses to things. No one's ever going to fully fit into the man box or the woman box. But when we create these stereotypes and then we don't push back against them or we just allow ourselves to always think in terms of being inside that box, it starts to create real problems. So, for example, one of these real problems that we've created through these stereotypes is lack of LGBT representation. For example, in terms of these boxes... A gay man isn't going to completely fall into the man box because he's not going to be able to, or rather, he's not going to want to pick up women. On the other side of things, um, a woman who is a lesbian isn't going to perfectly fit into the perfect woman box, or the people who don't identify as either man or woman, obviously, they're not going to fall into those boxes either. However, we are, we are starting to finally see some of this representation that does not fit into the nice, neat male or female boxes. Um, for example, the movie Wonder Woman. She is a strong female lead whose main objective is not to get the, the love of uh, a male love interest. It's to save the day. Another really good example of um, groundbreaking role is um, Andy Samberg's character in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Jake Peralta. He is, you know, at first a very traditional male role, um, but his character development kind of forces him to look in the mirror and and see where some of those traditionally masculine tendencies are problematic. On top of that, his partner is a strong female lead, Um, who ends up being higher in rank than him. And in that particular relationship, that doesn't cause any problems, as we might expect in other shows or films. And another good example is from the video game Borderlands 3. When they first announce Flack as one of their playable characters, everyone's like, oh, that character looks awesome. I really want to play him. And then the makers of Borderlands 3 announce that Flack was non-binary. They identify as they or them. So when this happened... All of the all of people who wanted to play this character were like, oh, what? How are they going to make a character this badass and then have them be non-binary? So it's like, just look at them. They clearly look like a dude. And the company's response to this was that, hey, if you're going to misgender flack in the forms purposefully just to kind of be a dick, we're going to ban you from the forms. They weren't saying that people who accidentally made the mistake of misgendering flack were going to be removed. But it was the people who were actively trying to be dicks because of it. They were going to be the ones removed because they were making that a community that wasn't going to be safe or be conducive to all people being able to enjoy their game. So when you have a company like Gearbox that then stands up for these underrepresented communities and actively wants to have them be a part of what they're doing, 
it then works towards changing that culture and allowing for other people to view these things as acceptable or at least understand where those people are coming from. So that way we have a more inclusive society. And honestly, that's what we want. We uh, want to create a society that is inclusive of all walks of life um, and where people can be who they are, regardless of what our media shows us. However, representation in the media is important. Um, And so with this series about the media, we really hope that we can allow our listeners to think critically about the things that we see, the things that we hear, and the things that we watch. Yeah. Again, we're not saying that media is the cause of all of our problems. What we're saying is that media has a part to play, and we have to understand that the messaging that we're always getting is going to help frame our belief systems. So we want to thank you for being here and being a part of that conversation with us. If you want to stay up to date with everything that we have going on, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Touchy Subpod. And if you have any questions or want to reach out to us, email us at touchysubjectspodcast at gmail.com. All right. And in the meantime, don't be afraid to challenge, ask, and discuss when it comes to touchy subjects.